Good morning. Welcome to the Blue Ridge Church of Christ. There we are, the summer of love. Uh, we actually have a, a contingency here from the Hampton Roads Church, and I'm glad they're here because this is one of the few times Hampton Roads copied us. So um, I just wanted them, but I feel fine about it. I just wanted them to know. So Ed, if you're watching, I know what you did. Um, but uh, welcome, Summer of Love, uh, here in the Blue Ridge Church. Uh, it's been great so far. Uh, thanks to everyone who's uh, been part of the service, helped sing. Uh, it's been so encouraging. If you notice, earlier we sang a song um, about uh, being redeemed. We'll sing a song afterwards about redemption. Uh, today's lesson is going to be on that topic of redemption. And what does it mean to be redeemed? And so as we focus this morning on that idea of redemption, we're going to look at one of the really exemplary examples in the Bible. Uh, once again... As with really every Sunday this summer, because we're looking at characters in the Old Testament, they really probably deserve so much more time. Today, um, most of all, uh, we're probably going to take the biggest bite we can, but it really, I think, um, is one of the most convicting examples of the whole Bible. Really, in all four chapters, we kind of have really a microcosm of the entire Bible, I believe. If you read uh, this book, I think you have, a good, you have a good essence of what the gospel is. Uh, it really is a beautiful book. I love this book as uh, is evident already, uh, but we'll be taking a look at today, uh, the book of Ruth. And the, 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 the title is Embittered to Embraced. And uh, if you can, turn over to the book of Ruth, and we will begin there. Uh, for those of us this morning, no matter where we're coming from, the idea of being embittered, um, most of us are familiar with that idea. We're filled with bitterness, actually, uh, Yesterday at the I Choose Us workshop for the Marrieds, one of the clips they showed was about how most of us have wounded memories, memories of times when we've been hurt. Yeah. And they kind of had this cool clip that the Grub showed where people, uh, the scientists would basically uh, measure people's um, kind of uh, blood pressure as they recapitulated re, re, uh, these stories. Uh, and they're, usually their blood pressure would be normal and then they would tell these stories of people, these kind of intense stories when they were younger, and then the blood pressure would just uh, almost double. It would spike from 120 to 180. It would just be huge, uh, these you know, 50% increases, and then the, the blood pressure would come back, come back down. Um, and so some of us, uh, most of us have that. We have situations where we've been hurt, situations where we're angry. Now, either we're aware of it uh, or we're not. Either way, I think there's stuff in there. Yeah. Uh, for me, for a long time, especially as a man, I thought, nah, I don't really, nothing bothers me that much. Now, I would get angry, but just wouldn't know why, you know. Like, why are you angry? I don't know. I'm just angry. But there were things deep down that are, that are, that are causing that. So a lot of us know what it is to be, to be embittered. Uh, and then we, we actually can get stuck in a position where that affects us physiologically to the point where not only is our blood pressure rising, but uh, we're, we feel depressed, we feel down, we feel lonely, we feel angry. We start to uh, pay people back. We look at revenge. Uh, we look at comfortability. We try to medicate the pain. And so uh, most of us know what, knows what this feels like. And so did uh, a couple of women um, uh, over really about 3,000, probably over 3,000 years ago. And those women are the two that we'll talk about today, uh, Naomi and Ruth. Now, in the nation of Israel, to do a little bit of backtrack, last week we had a great lesson on Leah. Uh, Leah, as, as she was, uh, she said, now I will put my faith in God, as she named her third son Judah. And so God would use Leah uh, to be part of the line of Christ because of um, really that he saw that she was in pain and rejected. 
Uh, and so as we look at this, in a very similar way, we have, uh, we have Ruth and we have Naomi. A little bit of background. Forgive me, I'm doing the best I can. But please go back and read the book if you have our booklet for the summer. You've already read the book, so you're coming in like, I got this. I know what he's talking about. So please go ahead and read Ruth. Um, but in Israel, you have God's people. And then east of Israel, across the Dead Sea, you have a land called Moab. And Moab is kind of one of the enemy states, one of the enemies of Israel. They've been in a lot of wars. If you think about um, us, we haven't been in any, in, in any recent consistent wars. Um, but if you think about like even to this day, like um, Egypt and Israel in the 60s, 70s, and 80s had three or four wars. And even to this day, they don't, uh, you can't really go from one place to the other very easily. There's a lot of hate. It, you know, if you're, I remember I was at a 7-Eleven once and there was a, a woman behind the desk and she looked Middle Eastern. And uh, so I, was, I, I asked her if she was from the Middle East. She said, yes, I'm from Syria. And uh, I said, oh, I speak Hebrew. I, I'm taking Hebrew. And she looked at me with like disgust. Like, and she goes, the Jew language? And I was like, Yes, the Jew language. Um, I'll check out now, you know. Um, but even to this day, there is still like animosity and hate. And so what happens is Naomi and her husband, Elimelech, they basically, there's a famine in the land. There's a famine in Bethlehem, which is ironic because Bethlehem means house of bread. But there's no bread in the house of bread. Uh, there's a famine. So they go to Moab uh, to be able to uh, get some food. There, Naomi, Naomi's two sons uh, get married uh, to Orpah and Ruth. And uh, her husband there, actually all the men in the family end up dying in a short amount of time. Naomi's husband dies and Naomi's two sons die. So within uh, a span of a few years, Naomi, half of Naomi's family is dead. And uh, in ancient times with the men dying, that's not just the, obviously the emotional uh, pain there, but also now the economic issues start to come into play. It's very tough for an, uh, an ancient widow to uh, make it by. Uh, sadly, there's not many options. Um, and some of the options are, are you know, uh, prostitution, sadly, which is not really all they have left, especially at Naomi's age, which is probably in her 50s or 60s. Um, it could be easy to feel in the situation when tragedy strikes, like, what is, why is God doing this to me? Why has God done this to me? And, and so we begin to see uh, what Naomi's feeling is, is, is very much like that. Um, and so we're actually going to pick up in Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. Um, it says, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to aid the people, to, aid, to be, come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of, oh, Judah. Judah. Nice. All right, we get that. We understand that. Verse 8, then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest uh, in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye and wept aloud and said to her, we will go back uh, with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought that there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Wow. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung 
to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and to her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people. And your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women explained, exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Now, Naomi's obviously from there. So she's returning home to a town where everyone knows her. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Don't call me Pleasant. That's what the name means. Call me Mata, which because the Almighty has made, me, uh, made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord brought me back, back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite. The author wants to remind us who Ruth is. She is a Moabite. Her daughter-in-law arriving in Bethlehem at the barley har- as the barley harvest was beginning. So this is a massive deal. Uh, all Naomi has in life is really uh, to, to become a beggar and to wait till she dies. Uh, even more than losing any potential heirs or grandkids or, you know, her, her sons and her husband has died. She, she's basically, she calls it out there. And some of us, when we get to that point, we don't even care anymore. We're like, you know what, this was God. Why would God do this to me? God, God, God brought this evil upon me. And she's saying, go away. You, you can't benefit anything from me. Go get married. Go find a husband. And this is kind of uh, antithetical to our, the world we live in. Because the world we live in can kind of be like, well, I'm going to do whatever it takes to get that husband. Or get that, get that girlfriend. Get that wife. But here, I, I love this quote about Ruth. It said, she acted with no promise in hand. With no divine blessing announced, without spouse, possessions, or supporting retinue, she gave up marriage to a man to devote herself to an old woman. This is Ruth in the beginning, and it's powerful. We love that passage early on. She goes, I'm going I'm to go with you. I'm going to stay with you. And so they go back to Bethlehem, and, and Ruth basically is saying, I want to spend the rest of my life taking care of you. But Ruth can't get a job. She's not like she can go down and start working you know, at the five and dime and start getting a job. But all they can do is really beg. And so what they do, is, it, now it's harvest time. So if you're, if you're reading this, you know, oh, harvest time, there's a little hope. Harvest time, it's a good time. And you know what? The, the law uh, provides that those that are homeless can actually uh, glean, can actually take, take some off the harvest for themselves. God, God looks out for the widows. God looks out for the homeless. So, hey, there's a little hope. Maybe they'll be okay during harvest time. So in chapter 2, it says, Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side, a man of standing from the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite, it's funny how we know who Ruth is, but the author keeps reminding us that she is not an Israelite. Because it's a big deal. It's a big deal. She's basically going to a place where there's probably going to be ethnic prejudice. She could easily be taken advantage of sexually, violently, anyway. But she says, no, I'm staying with my mother-in-law. I'm going to love my mother-in-law. She's not looking for safety. She's not looking for comfort. She's not looking for her own dreams to be fulfilled. I am going to take care of my... And guess what? Naomi's uh, not very pleasant right now. 
It's not like they're best friends at this point, you know. Naomi's like, call me bitter. She's just, she's, she's in a really uh, bad spot, Naomi. But Ruth still says, I will stay with you. I'll be with you. Even if that is personal harm for me. So verse 2, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go into the fields and pick up the leftover grain uh, behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Basically, let me go walk downtown and collect cans and turn them in for five cents and ten cents. That's what she's doing here. Let me go follow the people who are harvesting and pick up the leftovers and maybe they'll let me. But for an ancient widow, an ancient, in Ruth's case, a young widow, this is very dangerous. There's no protection. Anything could happen and no, there's no one there to protect her. And Naomi at this point is like, just go, you know, go ahead, do your thing. Uh, she, she, she's doing nothing. She's incredibly depressed. Uh, Naomi said, go ahead, my daughter. So she went out into a field and began to glean. Verse 4. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, they answered. Boaz, Boaz asked of the overseer, uh, who does that young woman belong to? The overseer replied, she is the Moabite who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She came into the field and has remained here from morning till now, except for a short rest in my shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go and glean in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with the women who work for me. Watch the field where the men are harvesting and follow along after the other women. I have told the men not to lay a hand on you. And whenever you are thirsty, go get a drink uh, from the water jars the men have filled. At this, she bowed down with her face to the ground. She asked, why have I found such favor in your eyes and that you notice me a foreigner? Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. How you left your father and mother and homeland and came to live with a people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you. For what you have done, may you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Now, this is an incredible beginning. So far, what we see is Ruth and Naomi. They have nothing. They're embittered. More so Naomi. Uh, Naomi's lost everything here. But I love what Ruth does really based on. not, Not much based on nothing. Ostensibly, she just chooses to love her mother-in-law. Yeah. Uh, this is tough for most of us here. Yeah. Most of us struggle to love people who love us back. Yeah. Most of us struggle to love our own kids. They're your kids and you struggle to love them. <laughs> most of us struggle to love our own spouse, yeah. our own mothers-in-law, our own, our own neighbors. Yeah. Here Ruth is, is with her dead husband's mom and she's being told, go back to your home, go back, find a husband, take care of yourself. Ruth says, I'm going to stay with you. I'm going to go with you. She's not, she's not in, uh, concerned with most of the things we concern ourselves about. That's inspiring to me. And I don't want this to be uh, mitigated. As we look at Ruth 1, a lot of us have uh, a choice. When we face hardship, and we all face hardship, yeah. uh, regardless of today, whether you stand, you're here, probably maybe this is your first or second time uh, coming out to church with us. Maybe you've been coming to church for a while but you've never really studied the Bible seriously. You, you, know, you know a lot, but you, your, your behavior hasn't really changed. You're still kind of the same you've always been. Uh, maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you have decided uh, in the past to repent, uh, to have faith in God, to, to be baptized, to live for God. But maybe you find yourself fading from that first love. 
Um, either way, we come to a challenge, all of us, and it really is, are we going to be Orpah or are we going to be Ruth? Uh, we have two options. Now, both of them are in the same situation. We don't even know which one married the other, the, the boys. We don't even know. The author's like, forget, it doesn't matter, you know? We don't even know who married who. All we know is that they're in the same situation. And Orpah decides, you know what? I'm going back to my home, back where I'm comfortable, back where I have money, back to my family, back to my security. And it kind of sounds reasonable if we're being honest with ourselves. We're like, I kind of like that choice. And we do that with God, don't we? We say, oh, wow, you got a raise? That must be from God. Because God definitely wants your comfortability. Well, we want more money. We want, and it's really easy to do that. It's really easy to say, oh, yeah, choose the option that's easier. Oh, yeah, choose what, do what you want to do because God wants you to have what you want to have. Uh, and we're uncomfortable with that. And sure, God loves us. He wants us to have, just like Leah last week, remember? She, God's like, you can have these kids, but they're not going to fill you up. Yeah. You can have these boys, but I want you to, to know it's not going to fulfill you. And praise God, Leah got there yeah. by Judah and was like, okay, I realize it. Jacob's not going to love me. This time I'll praise the Lord. And God wants us to be happy, but he also wants us to know the truth. And here with Ruth, we have the beginning of a story where Ruth basically says, I'm with you no matter what. And we have the same choice to face every day. Is are we going to do what's right or are we going to do what's easy? Uh, Whether it's in the world, in very easy situations, if you're confronted with sexual immorality or lust, uh, internet pornography, these things are a little bit easier to, to, to see. But there's also things that are harder to see. Yeah. There's also paths of least resistance that are sort of like, oh, yeah, good job, man. You chose what was easier. And we actually will kind of encourage each other to do that. Oh, you chose the easy route, the sensible route, the reasonable route. Now, I am not preaching extremes. So I know we, we hear this and we go, oh, he's telling us to be irresponsible. I'm not telling us to be irresponsible. But I think we, we gravitate toward the comfortable more often than not. And so we've got we've to take a page out of Ruth, we've got to take a page out of, out of uh, what she's trying to teach us. She has no promise. She's got nothing to hope for. She's not told by the Lord, if you go to Bethlehem, I will be there, with, I will be there for you. She, she doesn't have that. In fact, she's not even a Jew. She's a Moabite. She praises the God of Kamash. She's, uh, she, what? She's got nothing. Nothing going for her. She has no... No promise to know. Uh, but she still goes. The only motive she really has is her love for her mother-in-law. And really, what is apparently a very selfless love for her mother-in-law. Not a love where she's given back very much. Um, and so as we actually look forward, Ruth is a great example of discipleship. She's a great example. Uh, one of the, we, we do a, a, some Bible studies as a church with people to just help them really know what, it mean, what the gospel means. I, I did them myself. Uh, and one of the things we look at first is discipleship. And I can kind of be like, well, shouldn't we look at like grace first? Because like just discipleship on its own. But here's the thing about Ruth is, is, is Ruth was, was driven by love. And discipleship should be driven by love as well. It's not just blind obedience. What, what was Ruth's only motivator? Her, her love for her mother-in-law. Not just to go with her back to Israel, but to show up early at somebody's farm and to ask hey, can I just follow you and pick up the extras? And she didn't, she didn't take a break all day. Apparently she hadn't had a drink of water because Boaz was like, go get some water. Uh, you know, she hadn't been eaten. She was there to work. Wow. 
She was there to work hard. What we see in Ruth is loyalty and hard work. And we see a selfless love. That's all we see in Ruth so far. But she's got no promise of a redeemer. She's got no promise of deliverance. She's, she's only, she's, this is blind love. And what we see in Matthew 7, asking it will be given to you, seek and you'll find, knock, the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks, receives. Those who seek, find. And those who knock, the door will be open. Jesus is saying, you've got to go for it. Discipleship is going for it. And similarly, in Luke 13, Jesus says, make every effort. Praise God, it's not, you need to make every perfection. Uh, Make every effort. Effort. How's our effort this morning? How's your effort? What do you do? How are you, how, how's your effort? You've got to make every effort to go through the narrow door. Because many, 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 many are meeting this morning in other places, whether it's Christian or another religion or just no religion at all, the religion of idolatry. People are meeting up and they'll try, but they're not making every effort. Everyone tries. I'm trying, I'm trying, I'm trying. I'm just a sinner. I'm trying, I'm just, you don't know what my situation. I'm trying, it's just so difficult right now. I'm trying. And hey, listen, I understand that. But let's be inspired by Ruth's example. Ruth, who could have definitely said, this is tough. This is above my pay grade. I don't know what in the world to do for you. I am not an Israelite. I'm not a Jew. They're going to kill me over there. I'm going to be taken advantage of over there, whether economically or or violently or sexually. I I, I love you, but I can't go. I love you, but I can't do it. And we would have all said, it makes sense. Good thinking, Ruth. That really is sensible of you. But Ruth doesn't say it. She says, stop trying to convince me, Mom, I'm, I'm coming with you. Wow. And Naomi's there, you know, and once again, Naomi's no, ple- no pleasure to be with right now. Yeah. Uh, she, you know, she, she's, she's, she's bitter. But we see a great example of discipleship in Ruth. So before we go any further, I just want to ask you this morning, how's your discipleship? How's your discipleship? When the disciples are called to follow Jesus and leave everything. He doesn't say, hey, follow me uh, because later down the line I'm going to die for you and you don't have to really try that hard. Uh, we have grace, so just go ahead and um, do what you want. And, but I'm going to die for you later, so show up if you want. He doesn't say it. He says, follow me. He calls them, and in that call is grace. Because they're fishermen. They're, they're tax collectors. So to be called by a rabbi is grace. It's, you're calling me? Yeah, I'm there. You're calling me? You you know what I've done? Forget it. No, I'm not going to talk about it. Let's go. I'm with you. I'm in. It is grace. And Ruth realizes that she's driven by love. Ruth's not driven by, I really have to obey because of God. She doesn't even have Yahweh. She has Chemosh. She doesn't, she has Moabite gods. All she has is love and loyalty. And we see God work in the favor of a, really a non-believer. We like to believe, this, this would be like, the beginning of this would be like, there was a woman in America, she went to Saudi Arabia, uh, you know, her son married a, a Saudi Arabian Muslim woman, uh, the, the Saudi Arabian Muslim woman, uh, she grew up, you know, in, in ISIS, um, and she, I don't know, she grew up in ISIS and she came back to America, you know, and God's working with her. God's working for her favor. We'd be like, no, 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 I'm the American Christian. God's working in my favor. How dare you? 
but this is what this book would have read like back then. What? This widow? It's a woman. It's a woman with no husband, no job, no status, and she's from somewhere else who happens to be... that, That nation tries to kill us over and over again. This is Ruth. That's how much God puts a premium on faith and love. How's your faith and love this morning? I don't care who your mommy is or who your daddy is. It does not matter. Luke says that. John says it in Luke 3. I don't care your sons of Abraham. Stop talking about your daddy, Abraham. How's your faith? How's your love? Because I think sometimes the gospel of grace can be our most powerful uh, motivator. It can be our most powerful fuel, but it can also be twisted by Satan to be our biggest detractor. Oh, there's grace. I don't have to seek God this week. Oh, I can just fall back on it. Grace had, uh, Ruth had nothing to fall back on in this passage. But here's the thing. As amazing as Ruth is, and she's incredible, uh, she can't do it alone. She could show up every day and pick up those five cent, ten cent cans, but it won't be enough to just live, let alone what we'll see later. It won't be enough. But I do love how this is what Boaz sees in her. Hey, who's that? Who's that woman? This is like your, uh, you've got mail, you know, back then, right? This is like, hey, this is like the rom-com. But I love that Ruth, this this is it. This is the rom-com of ancient Israel. Uh, This is it. But I love that, I love that what, what's being praised here is not physical beauty. Uh, it's not status. It's not style. It's not sex appeal. It's not money. It's not, we, we both like the same things. Uh, he sees that she's a hardworking, loving woman. And what does Boaz say? He says, I know what you did for your mother-in-law. That's a big deal. And you stay here and I'm going to protect you. You know, Ruth needed Boaz. Yeah. Ruth needed Boaz. She couldn't do it alone. But it happens to be that Boaz is actually what's called a kinsman redeemer. And in every family back then, there was a, a couple men who would, whose their job was to protect the widows. If you have like a second, if you have a, an aunt or a cousin who's a widow and she's in a, an economically vulnerable place or a place where she could be hurt, the kinsman redeemer's job was to bring her in. Come, come live with me. I'll take you as my wife, which really just meant... Uh, I'll, I'll protect you. And if you need an heir, if you need uh, to, to, to keep the family line going, I will help. Uh, it's apparent that Boaz is a little bit older than Ruth here. But he is, he is a kinsman redeemer. And he is one of the special people who can help Ruth. And it becomes obvious later, uh, if we go to Ruth chapter 3. Ruth, Ruth has a plan. It's actually from her, her mother-in-law, Naomi. A very interesting plan. And, and, and here the plot will thicken. This is act, act two, right? We have our setting. We have our introduction. What's going to happen next? Uh, Ruth chapter three. One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be provided for. Now, Boaz, with uh, whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. Really, it's a relative of hers, um, of Naomi's. Tonight, we will be winnowing, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, get dressed, put in, get in your best clothes, then go down to the threshing floor. But don't let him know that you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, 
Note the place where he is lying. Then go uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. What in the world is going on? Verse 5. <laughs> I will do whatever you say. Oh, how awesome is Ruth? Hey, uh, uh, teens, where are the teens at? Where are the teens at? You see that? I like that. I love that. I will do whatever you say, Mom. Oh, oh. I'm not even a parent. I'm not even a parent and I get chills. I'm like, ah, oh, so, so awesome. I will do whatever you say. Verse 6. So she went down to the threshing floor and obeyed her mother-in-law. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, uh, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth, Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who knew? Who are you? He asked. I am your servant, Ruth, he said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer, a kinsman redeemer of our family. Verse 10. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than which you showed me earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. How awesome is that? Ruth is known, uh, a foreign widow, as a woman of noble character. Verse 12, although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of our family, a kinsman redeemer, there is another who is more closely related than I. Stay here for the night and in the morning if he wants uh, to do his duty as your kinsman redeemer. Good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. And so what we have here is an amazing story of Ruth. Uh, there's a lot of um, things we don't really understand here. The threshing floor is a place only men go. So this is kind of a, a potentially, uh, this has bad optics. If, you know, uh, if, if it's seen that the widow is going to visit Boaz here uh, on the threshing floor at night, it doesn't look good. Um, but but the, Naomi had to ensure privacy. Um, and basically, the, what, what boldly what Ruth does here is propose uh, to Boaz. She basically comes in. She wants to make sure they're alone. She knows that when your feet aren't covered by the blankets, you wake up, you know, at some point, right? So she's like, you know, uh, uncovers the blankets. His feet are going to get cold. We know all about that. And then she's lying at his feet like when he looks down. Oh, yeah, I'm going to be here. Um, So I guess she didn't want to, like, wake him up. Uh, but that's the plan. I don't know. It's the plan. So Boaz wakes up and she says, listen, I, we need your help. We need to be redeemed. Uh, we're in trouble. We're not going to make it as we are. We need you to help us uh, as, as the kinsman redeemer. And Boaz is amazed. Boaz is like, oh my goodness. That love you showed your mother-in-law earlier was nothing compared to this. This is better. This is greater because before it was love towards your mother-in-law. Now you're actually saying, you know what? Instead of going after every, any husband I want, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to marry a man who can take care of my mother-in-law. Oh, what in the world? It's a selfless marriage. It's a selfless marriage. It's the opposite of every marriage we see in the world today. Of someone who I want, who accepts me for me. I don't have to change for him. He just accepts me and all my terrible, you know, I don't know what it is, your habits. But we don't, there's no self-sacrifice. But here, Ruth. She says, you know what, God, can you take care of us? So not only does Ruth an amazing example of uh, what it means to loyally love and to be faithful, um, but now she's actually been bold enough. She's actually gained some sort of reputation, a good one, 
but she puts what, even, what she, even what little she has at risk to still love her mother-in-law. Yeah. And Boaz is amazed. Boaz is amazed by this woman. Uh, he's like, you, you're coming for me? You want to marry me? You know, yes, uh, of course. Uh, and so for us, in the same way, the first idea is that we have to go after discipleship. So the first question is, this second point doesn't really matter if the first point is null and void to you. How is your effort this week? Are you like Ruth? Do you make time for Jesus? A lot of times we fit Jesus into our leftover time. Well, I happen to be free Friday. Maybe I'll, you know, read and pray then. Maybe I'll meet up for a Bible study then. Or, but do we seek God? Do we prioritize God like Ruth did? I know for me, this is both difficult in the beginning of really learning to uh, pursue God because it's so new. You're so used to prioritizing yourself. That's why repentance is dying to yourself but living for righteousness. But I think also it gets harder as every year you're a disciple because I think you start to slowly start to get back to prioritizing yourself. Uh, But in addition to striving, I think that's a big one, striving, making every effort Bible, be in a Bible study today. Get lunch. Get, go to Guadalajara with somebody after lunch. Have a Bible study. It was so cool. We were over there last week uh, getting lunch uh, with a couple. We look over the way, and, and there were two men in the church having a Bible study. Wow. And, I, and Jenny and I were inspired. We were like, oh, how cool is that? Yeah. Uh, you know, look over. You know, it's not a huge church, but you look over, you're like, man, they're doing it right now. You know? And they were seeking first the kingdom. But are we doing the same thing? Are we... And, I, I don't know how it looks for everyone, but how's your effort? I don't know how it's going to look for you, but how's your effort? Is, are you making every effort or are you trying? You know, Ruth made every effort. And I love that Boaz saw that. Because it's important. Uh, and I hope in our marriages we see that in each other. That we're actually in our spouse. We're like, you know what? My, my wife loves God. My husband puts God first before the family. You know, do we see that or do we say that or do we even want that? But even more than that, and that's all great. That's all well and good. And that's crucial. But we need a redeemer. We need, we need, Ruth needed Boaz. She saw that he needed him. She had a plan. She got there. She waited until he had eaten dinner. She's like, he's going to be in a good mood. He's going to lie down, pick his feet up. I'm going to uncover his feet. He's going to get cold. I'm going to be there. He's going to be like, who are you? I'm going to be like Ruth. And then I'm going to say, I need you. He's going to be, it's going to be perfect. You know, are we, are we like that when we, when we think about Jesus? Are we like, he can redeem me? Yeah. Are you kidding? Oh, I, I got nothing going on. I'm hopeless. I can't save myself. My sin is ever present with me. Yeah. Do you know what I've done? I'm always fighting guilt. I'm always struggling with sense of identity. Yeah. I'm constantly putting idols in front of God. I can have a redeemer. Are we like Ruth? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to get to church early. And then if there's going to be one person there, I'm going to fellowship with them. And if there's nobody there, I'll probably pray. And then, like if, and then later on that day, like I'll sit next to somebody who's sitting alone. And then after church, I'll get lunch with somebody. And I got, I got work in the afternoon, but maybe like I can take a break and call a brother and pray over the phone. And then at night, you know, this is, do we think this way? This is how Ruth thought when she realized we can be saved. Not, oh, good, we're saved. Now I can check out. Oh, good, we're redeemed. Uh, now I'm just going to put it on coast. Knowing she had a redeemer didn't make her love less. It, it inspired her to love more. Wow. And in the same way for us, does, does knowing you have a redeemer cause you to do less or cause you to do more? Cause you to love less or cause you to love 
more. Boaz is crucial to Ruth's redemption. He not only has the capacity, but Boaz is incredibly generous. He tells Ruth, uh, this is earlier, we skipped it, but he says, listen, you don't have to just beg for cans. You can actually bring in the harvest with us, uh, which is a massive. Basically, here's, here's a bunch of food, like months worth of food, so you'll be okay. Also, at this point, after this, he says, by the way, as you're leaving, they're at the threshing floor, right? As you're leaving, uh, here's 48 pounds of uh, wheat. Wow. I don't know how she carried it. That's impressive. Ruth was, Ruth was legit. She was lifting. She was doing CrossFit, Israel, ancient Israelites CrossFit. Uh, she was strong, 48 pounds of wheat. But Boaz is incredibly generous. But as amazing as Boaz is, he's no Jesus. Yeah. We have in Christ, and Ruth acted on no promise. We have a promise. Yeah. We have it in writing. We have it as a deposit. We've been given, if you've repented and been baptized, you have a deposit of the Holy Spirit, what is to come later on down the line. We have so much more than Ruth had. But yet we love less. And I think we've got to realize as a church, listen, it's not about what we do. It's not about checking the box off. Are we, are we, all the simple question is, every day this week, just ask yourself, do I know I have a redeemer? And am I motivated by love? That's all it is. Do, Do you know you have a redeemer? Because even if you blow it today, let's say you blow it. Let's say you had a plan to meet for a Bible study but it got canceled. And then you were going to go pray, but then your kid freaked out. And now you can't. And you were going to have some time tonight to relax, but you got in a fight with your wife. And now it's 10 and it was supposed to be awesome, but now you're just bitter. And you're worn out and you're tired and you're sad. And you're like Naomi. You're like, call me Mata because I'm just, I'm hurting right now. Um, I'm bitter. Uh, even if that happens, we still have a redeemer. Uh, it's not based on your day. How's your effort? If the effort's there, if you know you have a redeemer, are you pursuing that redeemer? Yeah. If you're not a disciple this morning, or you're unsure of what that means, please study the Bible to find out what it means to really follow God. If you are a disciple, or to the best of your knowledge you are, do the same thing. Yeah. Have a Bible study today. Ask lots of questions in the Bible study. Show up eager to learn. Show up eager to, hey, what do you do? And Think ahead of time. Consider how you can spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Yeah. Consider it, just like Ruth did here. We're going to go into the ending, but I want to ask that question one more time. Are we more like Orpah or Ruth? Because Orpah quit a long time ago. Yeah. Ruth gets to see the glory of God, the true miracle of God, because she chose the harder road. But she chose the road that involved loyal love and the road that involved faith, the faith of a, of a foreign widow. Uh, would be able to see this amazing harvest. But where's Orpah? Who knows? Who knows where Orpah is? And so each of us this morning consider where we are. God wants to give us what we want, but he also wants to give us what we need. And he knows that what we need is more important. Even though we think that that thing with the money or that thing with the kids or that thing with the spouse is the most important thing and we really want it, it may not be what we need. What we need is redemption. We're not going to be talking about, you're not going to be talking about what you wore in 10th grade uh, a thousand years from now. You're not going to be talking about what you, what you made at work. You're not going to be talking about who won the series, thank God, uh, or who won the Super Bowl. You're going to be talking about how grateful you are you have a Redeemer. You're going to be talking about how amazing it is to have a Redeemer. We're going to close out in chapter 4. Ruth 4, verse 13. Well, let's go backwards. 
So Boaz goes to the city gate. He meets this guy. He plans it well. He says, hey, man, uh, there's a bunch of land from Elimelech. Do you want it? Uh, and then the guy goes, uh, yeah, I want that land. And Boaz goes, cool. By the way, in order to get the land, you have to marry Ruth uh, and then give it to her offspring as an inheritance. And then the guy goes, I don't want that because that's going to just make the inheritance for my, the kids I have now less. So Boaz goes, cool. Do you know anybody who can marry her? And then the guy's like, you know, you. He's like, oh, yeah, I'll do it. Uh, great suggestion. Um, so Boaz basically here in chapter 4, verse 5. Uh, or actually, let's skip down. Boaz uh, in verse 9. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilion, and Mahlon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Mahlon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders of all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman, the woman who is coming into your home like, oh, how sweet is this? Rachel and Leah, who together built up from the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathath and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom tomorrow, Tamar bore to Judah. How cool is that? So last week we talked about Leah being faithful to God. God working through Leah to have the kids she wanted, but also to find fulfillment in God. Now we have, uh, both, by the way, a reject, Leah. We have another reject in Ruth, uh, apparently. And the world hates, the world loves you know, success. We have people who are uh, sort of uh, circumstantially devoid of success here, being used by God. And as we read the whole story, we can think, oh, you know what, Ruth's the hero. Oh, you know what, no, no, Boaz is the hero. He redeemed. And then we realize God was working the whole time. God brought Ruth to that field. God, then Boaz just happened to show up. And then Naomi said, hey, I know that guy. He's a kinsman redeemer. God was working through all of it. God was setting it up. Now, Ruth had to take action, but God set the pieces in motion. How cool is that knowing this week, God has set up your week. He set it up. Even if it looks as bad as Ruth's week here. This all happens in just a few days, apparently. Even if it looks as bad as this, God's saying, I still got something in the works for you. I still got something planned for you. Do you see it? Or are we going to be like Orpah and say, I'm not even going to be here. I'm gone. I'm taking myself out by being faithless. Ruth 4.13. 4, so Boaz took Ruth. She became his wife. Uh, when they came together, the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous through all Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took her child in her arms and cared for him. The women living uh, there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. And in the line of Christ. When Luke makes his genealogy, uh, he doesn't leave out Leah. He doesn't leave out Ruth. That these women were being used by God to build the line of the Messiah. The line of Christ. This was always going to be in motion for Ruth. 
And the same for us. God has amazing plans for you. The question is, do you have faith in that? Do you believe you can have a great marriage? Do you believe you can be fruitful in your neighborhood and have neighbors become Christians? Do you believe your kids can grow and become disciples and change? Do you believe your spouse can change? Do you believe that stubborn sin can finally be gone? Do you believe? Because if you don't believe, if you're not faithful, you're like, we're taking ourselves out immediately. We can't, God can't work with Orpah. She's off in Moab. But he worked with Ruth. And Ruth wasn't perfect. Ruth had tons of issues, but Ruth made every effort. Ruth realized she needed a redeemer. And Boaz was there to take care of all she needed. And in the same way for us, as we close out, as we go from embittered to embraced, that's a typo. Um, as, we, as we go from embittered to embraced, which is really what Naomi does. Naomi left empty. She ended out fulfilled. She goes, I was empty and embittered and left fulfilled. Colossians 1 says, for he rescued us. This is us, church. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. The forgiveness of sins. All of us today deserve hell. All of us today deserve death. We actually deserve the death that Jesus took. If it were fair, that's what we'd have. But we have a God who loves us We have a redeemer who's there going, I have the capacity, I have the generosity, but do you want help from me? Do you, are you humble enough to ask for help? Anybody today today could become a disciple if you simply ask for help. The problem is you don't think you need help. The problem is you think you're your own redeemer. You think you'll save yourself through your actions or your success, or you think you can put off the pain just long enough until you're at the point of no return. You know, we have an amazing, gracious God. Let's realize right now what we have. Let's be grateful right now what we have in God. That even though we've sinned against Him, we've hurt Him in ways that we'll never know. He's still saying, I'm here. You're my daughter with whom I'm well pleased. You're my son with whom I'm well pleased. I'm proud of you. I'm with you. I love you, but do you love me? And let's be like Ruth Church. And even more than that, let's be like Christ this morning. And realize that we don't have to be like Ruth and act on no promise. We have a promise. We don't have to be like Ruth and and, and do it only because uh, we love our mother-in-law. We actually have a God who loves us. We don't have a mother-in-law who is pretty bitter. We have a God who already loves us and who's already uh, embraced us. And if we can go throughout this week knowing that we are embraced, what could stop us? What could get in the way of you knowing that you have a Redeemer? And as we close out with a song. I pray that we can, this week, just, just know that your Redeemer lives. Just know that. And I think God will take care of the rest. Amen. And to God be the glory.